Monday, March 19th, and this is Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers. Gentlemen, happy Monday. Hey, Chris. Good to see you. Uh, we've got a big deal in the world of shipping, and we've got a big movie opening that is sending one stock to an all-time high. But we are going to start, of course, with the big news about Apple. Apple announced that it will begin paying a quarterly dividend of $2.65 a share. The company will also buy back up to $10 billion of its own shares. All told, guys, the plan involves Apple paying out up to $45 billion over the next three years. Charlie Travers, I'll start with you. What's your basic reaction when you saw the news? I have real mixed feelings about this, Chris. I fully endorse and applaud the dividend payment. I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, what I don't like, and you know, long-time listeners will see this coming from me, is that <laughs> I don't really care for the share buybacks. And the reason they stated in the conference calls that they're doing the buybacks to offset dilution from stock options grants, uh, which I don't think is a great use of shareholder money. Uh, I think Warren Buffett said it best with share buybacks that they should be done when the company has no better place to invest and when the stock is undervalued. I think this passes the no better place to invest test just because they have so much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but buying back shares indiscriminately is not really something I approve well, of. Well, what better time than when the stock's at an all-time <laughs> high and right. higher valued than any other? You know what this makes me think of? This is shades of Microsoft circa 10 years ago when you had a visionary founder who uh, you know left and you took Steve Ballmer. company was under intense pressure to start paying dividends. They yep. paid out a special dividend and really lost their way. And I think with some some of the comments out of the Apple call, I worry that they're pandering to Wall Street, and I got to think you watch this company closely over the next few quarters to make sure that they are customer-focused and not Wall Street-focused. And speaking of Microsoft, we've seen recently the chief financial officer come out and essentially say, you know what, we're moving away from the share of buybacks. Yeah. We're going to focus more on the dividend as a way to return uh, you know, money to shareholders. Um, Joe, I mean, the dividend, the share buyback, what do you think in general? I was surprised by the share repurchase, to, to Charlie's point, and I'm not going to rehash it. But with the dividend, I it was higher than I thought it would be on the quarterly side. I was expecting more of a special dividend, like a one-time a dividend. One-time. Yeah, and the reason is that tech is a volatile industry, and especially consumer electronics is a volatile industry. And because of that, you have up years, you have down years. And so that's why a lot of these companies are reluctant to commit to quarterly dividends. So when they you know, come out swinging with one that yields 1.8%, you know, in a market cap of the, of the size, that's a pretty meaningful ongoing commitment that they sign themselves up for. Meanwhile, they've got $100 billion in cash. They could effectively pay $100 a share special dividend today if they wanted. I would have gone that route instead and kept either a smaller quarterly yield or just not paid one at all. But, you know, part of that, too, was just signaling that they were going to be responsible stewards of cash. And, you know, to Charlie's point, maybe you're placating Wall Street a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it was way more cash than they would have ever needed. So it would have been nice to see some sort of signal, but I wouldn't have gone the quarterly route. But I, I will say, if you're if you're an optimist, that definitely signals a lot of confidence on management's part. Well, this is also a company, though, that generates a lot of cash. Right. Um, you know, I think they're today, all, today. But I mean, w- when you look at the amount of cash that they've generated, just just taking last year and what they're projected for this year, I mean, they they can they can afford it. I guess is my right. point. It seems like they can afford it, um, and uh, the dividend. You know, you think it's a little high. I've seen some people online saying this is too conservative, it's too low. You know, Microsoft's dividend is more than that. I yeah, mean, but Microsoft is such a different business. I mean, for all Microsoft's problems, it 
owns the space that it's in with PCs and, um, you know, with business uh, tech, basically, with mm. Office, Word, etc. To me, it's just comparing apples and oranges. And I think that Microsoft, for all its challenges, is a lot more stable. And because of its stability within the spaces that it controls, even though those spaces might be shrinking, you know, they have a little more bandwidth to do that. Charlie? What I didn't really care for, it kind of raised my eyebrow a little bit, was the comments in the call about attracting a new class of shareholder. It's like, who doesn't own Apple out of the institutional <laughs> yeah. space as it is? It's like, what are you, you know, that just, I don't know, didn't really strike a right chord. Well, what really, like, made me think that the bubble train was just going nuts this morning was on CNBC. They were talking about Apple as its own asset class. So you have stocks, you have bonds, Gold. you have commodities, <laughs> yeah, and Apple. And Apple is its own asset class? Yeah. It was just a discussion, but to me, the fact that we were having, or they were having this discussion, I was like, my eyes rolled so hard, they almost yeah. went back through my head. Um, we've talked before about tech companies paying dividends and how some were reluctant to do it. Certainly, Apple was reluctant to do it for a very long time because it's almost like this. It's almost like hitting middle-aged, essentially, for, for a right. stock where it's like, you know. It's buying the minivan. It's buying the minivan. It's no, it's no longer, you know, cool. It's no longer hip. Yeah. Um, Cisco Systems, Microsoft, they bought the minivan a long time ago. Yeah, IBM. Um, yeah. And I guess when I think about middle-aged, there are a couple of routes you can go. You can go the George Clooney route. George Clooney's middle-aged and he looks awesome. Yeah, Mickey Rourke is middle aged, <laughs> and he looks like yeah. he's he's. It's been some rough middle aged years. So I guess the question I'm I'm headed towards is, where do you think Apple is going to go? Is it going to go sort of the Clooney route? Is this going to be a, a company that ages gracefully? Because Tim Cook, as you guys have alluded to, he's certainly um, cut his own path. He has yeah. broken away from from some of the things that Steve Jobs steadfastly stuck to in terms of uh, how he handled cash. Yeah, I'll be more comfortable saying they're going the Brad Pitt, George Clooney route if they come out with some really exciting products this year. You know, something like Apple TV could be a big home run for them. That'll get me a lot more excited than what they announced today. Joe? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be tough to tell what a post-Steve Jobs Apple looks like. We're not really going to be able to judge this for another, like, two to three years. And unfortunately, that's kind of a, you know, cop-out and a punt. But it's true because Jobs was involved with all the products that you're seeing rolling out today, the new iPad uh, the iPhone 5, like he had his hands on all these, but it's really when you're talking about iPad 8 or 7S that you're talking about, you know, products that he wasn't really engaged with. And it's going to be the people left at Apple who are designing, marketing those products. And it's really going to be up to them. And I think that's the point where you're really testing the metal of the organization going forward. Keeping in mind that it now has the added attraction of a quarterly dividend, what do you think of the valuation of Apple stock? I mean, that doesn't really change much for me. It's just there was an assumption that it was there, that something was going to come back one way or the other in cash. I'm still the only person, I, I, I don't know, there might be one or two other guys at the office that aren't Apple fans. I'm not a fan. I still think it suffers from all the problems that I've complained about in the past. And, and the stock just keeps going up. It just yeah. keeps on going. I've been totally wrong about it, but I still think the, that the guy who two-fists Apple it. products isn't a fan of the stock. Yeah. Do you yeah. see the irony? I was going to say, well, I'm with, aware. with his iPad right in front of him. Yeah. UPS said it is buying TNT Express, a shipping company based in the Netherlands, for the cool price of $6.8 billion. Joel, I'll start with you. Is now the time to be placing a massive billion-dollar bet on the European economy? Because that's what this seems like. Yeah, well, they got a good price on it. And 
It's an interesting dynamic where they bought the company, TNT, and UPS's stock is up. And that's pretty unusual, but when you see that, it's a signal that it must have been a killer acquisition because usually stocks fall after they make uh, deals along these lines. So what's really compelling about this deal is that the European space is a lot more fragmented than the U.S. Uh, it's slowly consolidating, slowly consolidating, and the value of that is basically price increases. So UPS and TNT together were the second and third biggest players behind DHL. Well, now that they've merged, this consolidates the industry a good bit. So it means they're going to be less aggressive pricing. They'll be able to raise prices. And in a business where you know the size of your network is the single most important factor, that's huge. And so they're going to be able to bring out tons of you know costs, synergies, et cetera. So ultimately, I think it's a great deal, and that's why the stock is up today. Charlie, what do you think? Because as Joe alluded to, certainly they, it looks like they might have some increased pricing power here. But this also seems like a business, uh, like any in this space, you can throw FedEx in there too, that um, uh, one of the big X factors is always going to be the cost of fuel. Right. Um, is this a, is this the type of stock that you're interested in, or is it just you, you just avoid? As a standalone company, I wouldn't have been interested. And I eyeballed the financials. They had free cash flow declining three years running. Uh, this deal values the company at 12x EBITDA, and UPS paid a 54% premium. Those factors uh, wouldn't have been exciting to me on the surface. But I think Joe's point about the pricing power and UPS's efficiencies they could bring in from a larger network do ring true. Uh, what I like about this deal for UPS is that it jumps their uh, international sales to 36% of the total revenue. I think that's important for companies that were dominant here in the States to replicate their business model abroad. And this deal definitely helps UPS do that. Is there any concern that you have, Joe, that this um, moves them? Does this increase their market share to the point where regulators are going to start eyeballing them a little bit more closely, or are they still far away from that? Yeah, there will be a pretty heavy-handed regulatory review like, just like we have in America now, but especially in Europe, regulators are very meddlesome. Uh, that will be the case there. And a worst case scenario is they might have to sell off some assets, but I'm not expecting too much uh, along those lines. I mean, it's not the kind of deal that's going to reshape the entire industry, but it's enough to where they'll be able to wring out those cost savings and be able to push through some price increases. Uh, shares of UPS have beaten the S&P 500 over the last couple of years. What do you think of the stock? You know, it's up today, so... Yeah, I own a lot of UPS. Uh, it's one of my favorite businesses, and I think it has one of the widest moats on the planet. It's very boring sounding, just shipping, but as we do more uh, shopping online and just general business trends flow in that direction, the big winners are going to be the people with the biggest networks, and they're one of those companies, and they just keep building it out in a very smart way, just like this acquisition. Yeah, I fully agree with Joe here. Uh, and you mentioned the weak economy in Europe as a concern, but I don't think UPS is looking out over the next year or even two years. They're building this business for the next decade and beyond. And that's yeah. why they've been such a great company for such a long time. On the Botanical Money radio show last weekend, we talked, among other things, about John Carter, the uh, the new movie from Disney um, that, uh, Charlie, is, as you said, you hadn't even heard of. I which, see a lot of movies. I hadn't heard of that one. Which is amazing, considering Disney spent $100 million uh, uh, on uh, marketing it. Um, uh, so Disney's going to have to take a huge bath and probably write down some huge chunk of that movie, which all told, I think, cost Disney somewhere in the neighborhood of $350, 360000000 million. Yeah, that's a lot of zeros. Um, 
On the flip side, uh, our final story, shares of Lionsgate Entertainment up more than 6% earlier today, and shares hit an all-time high on what is being referred to as the Hunger Games effect. This coming Friday, The Hunger Games hits movie theaters. This is the first in a series of movies based on the the, the popular book series. Uh, some analysts are saying this could do over $250 million in the U.S. alone. What do you think, Joe? I mean, that's, that's that, huge. That's huge great win. for Lionsgate. Oh, absolutely. And this is a trilogy, too. So this is really going to pay off for them in a big way over a number of years. What's interesting about it is that The Hunger Games was a really big book. I mean, it's a very popular story. It's kind of along the lines of like a Twilight or Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. not to the same degree of popularity, but still really big. And so I was actually surprised that it came through Lionsgate because, frankly, films like this are usually done in a more, you know, uh, high-spend way than Lionsgate typically does. Uh, James Early talked on Motley Fool Money on Friday, uh, you know, the the weekly podcast about how Lionsgate's strategy is they make smaller investments in films. And from a business model standpoint, that works pretty well. And in in this case, I think they've done a pretty beautiful job of locking down a really popular franchise with legs and producing it at a low price. Charlie, what do you think? Well, it, it, it's good for this year, and it'll be good when those sequels out, but the movie business is a very feast or famine business model. It reminds yep. me a lot of my days as a drug analyst where a company... <laughs> yeah, God, yeah. I was so close to addict. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, you know, so they spend a lot of money up front, and in the case of Hunger Games, it looks like it's going to win, but in the case of John Carter for Disney, it didn't, and I, I generally do not like the movie studios for that reason. So you just, I mean, even though Lionsgate, um, and it's not a big company, I mean, they have about 500 employees, it's, you know, about $1.75 billion company, so it it seems like within the movie studio space, this might be, you know, a a small cap or or even a growth stock of some sort. Some sort, but you're you're just staying away altogether. Yeah, and I just don't like the dynamics of the uh, business, and that's why a lot of them are not you know, independent companies, you get, you know, like Columbia rolled up as part of Sony, for example, and Marvel into Disney now. It's because you need that broader, safer base to work off of. So, Charlie, I know you hadn't even heard of John Carter, and no. you're probably not going to see John Carter. Do you have a movie recommendation for well, our listeners? I do like Lionsgate movie in general, so I looked at the catalog of what they've produced, and one of my favorite movies of all time is a Lionsgate movie, which would be American Psycho with Christian Bale. What a classic. <laughs> Now, now is that a is that a date movie? Would you say? Or? No, not no. a first date. <laughs> no. Maybe not even an eighth date. Yeah, I'd wait a while to break that one out, uh, Joe. Like until you've locked it down <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with a ring. Um, anyone who's seen the movie will. Moving on, kind of a yeah. violent movie. I haven't seen kind it. Kind of but that's, violent. That's how I under- I mean, for crying out loud, the name of the movie is American Psycho. So yeah, there you it's go. About like it sounds. Uh, Joe, movie recommendation. Uh, movie recommendation. I'm going to go with The Dark Knight. I love a good Batman movie, especially the later ones, uh, you know, the Christian Bale ones, because they're actually good. Um, I'm not really a fan of the George Clooney era Batman. That was pretty weak sauce. None of us were. No offense. Yeah. I'm just going with The Town. This is a movie that came out a couple years ago with uh, – Oh, The Town. Yeah. yeah. That's what I call heat with a Boston accent. It is heat yes. with a Boston accent. Well but, put. Uh, ben Affleck and John Hamm, just, uh, you know, a little bit of violence there. So just keep that in mind if you're watching. But just an incredibly well done movie. And uh, as a Red Sox fan, uh, I, and I'm not really spoiling anything here, but I like I like that uh, one of the plot lines is basically ripping off Fenway Park. <laughs> it's just fun to see. Uh, Joe Mager, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 
That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.